Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is Joni Stahl. Hope everybody's doing well. I'm doing great. You know me as long as I'm here. I'm always doing better than well. So I just want to say it's always so good to be here. I just look so forward to this. And before I get started, I want to welcome you. If this is your first time here, I just welcome you. If you're just visiting and stopping by, I'm really glad that you're here. And I pray that the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of his Holy Spirit, will rest upon you and that you will be blessed at the hearing of the word of the Lord. And also, I want to welcome uh, new subscribers. I just I'm really grateful about that, but not just because it's about me. It's because that lets me know that this little earthen vessel is pouring out living water to you. And I pray that you will always be blessed. And I just want to thank everybody who supports this little green pasture in every way. I cannot thank you enough. I just want you to know how appreciative I am of you. And moreover than that, that I can call you my brothers and my sisters because we truly are the family of God, right? And also I want to say, I want to remind everybody, I no longer have a website. I gave that up because I was never on it anymore. So if you want to contact me, all my contact information is below every video in the description box. And also I've been uh, uploading all my videos to Rumble because like I said in my last video, you just never know. If I wake up one day and... My YouTube channel is scrubbed by YouTube. We just never know seeing how things are going in this world, right? Boy, and how things are going. Um, so today, um, I want to talk to you about seeing God. You hear a lot of that comes from me. But this is something I know and I'm convinced in my heart that Jesus wants me to talk to you today about what it means to truly see him. So before I get started, will you pray with me as I direct your hearts, as I ask the Holy Spirit to direct your hearts to him. Heavenly Father, I come before you today. Lord Jesus, I present myself to you today. I humble myself before you. That there be lifting up, but not for myself, but for the name of Jesus Christ. I pray that every word that I will speak will be authorized by you, Lord Jesus, and by witness, the witness bearer, your Holy Spirit. And I pray that, Lord Jesus, that you will be glorified in the hearts of everyone that will hear this message. I ask you, Lord Jesus, open up the eyes of all your people to see Jesus, to see you for who you really are, not what you can give people, not what you can do with their lives, which we need you. There is no doubt, God, that we need you for our lives, but Lord, we need to see there's something deeper. There's something greater and that is you. When we see you, Lord, everything changes in our life. And we're not like one that sits at the gate, beautiful, hoping to receive something from you. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that the Spirit of the Lord would not just be upon me, be upon everybody that has thirsty hearts. And are in dry seasons of their life. Lord, I just ask you now to be present in this message as I recede and you excel as I point everybody to you, to the praise of your glory and grace. By Christ Jesus, amen. Okay, here we go. 
All right, you know, I want to say that over the last week, I was really experiencing a dry spell, which I don't get shook up over it like I used to when I was younger in the faith, always thinking that I was doing something wrong in the Lord, which I now know um, our life is a lesson. You know, so we're in school and, you know, we have the enemy who's always accusing us and saying, you didn't get it right. You didn't say it right. You got that verse wrong. You mixed up Old Testament with New Testament. You didn't say that verse correctly. You know, I mean, how many times is Satan trying to nail you and I against the wall? And we always, we always, all of us would be like, oh, no, God, of course, there is a responsibility to the handling of the word of life. We don't want to handle it, you know, uh, unskillfully or the word of God deceitfully. Um, And so there's always this learning, this pressing forth. And I'm not that same person anymore. Many of you would agree of your own lives that every minute that you thought you did something wrong, you thought you were this epic failure in Christ until you grew up by the Holy Spirit where you said, when I became a man, remember he said, when I was a child, I, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 13, I think it's verse 11. He said, when, when I was a child, I thought like a child. I I understood like a child. I spake like a child. But when I became a man, he said he put away childish things. And there comes a time that we do put away childish things. There comes a point where we don't listen to the bully anymore. We outgrow the bully. Because that's what Satan is. I call him the big bully of the universe. And so by saying that, Um, back to the dry spell. I look at those as opportune times as either I'm going to really stop. The Lord wants me to stop. There's many reasons. There's dry spells. It doesn't have anything to do a lot of times with that. We've done something wrong. Of course, it's good. I, of course, the first thing all of us do is we keep a short account with Christ. We want to get before him and we want to say, Lord, if there's anything between you and I, Lord, Please open my eyes. This is this whole message today is going to be about what it means to have our eyes open and not just here and there once in a while to get a touch and go feeling or a sense or a peek over the fence. But, you know, God has been speaking to me in what I thought was a dry season. The dry seasons press us in to Jesus Christ. It, it does, there, there's a pressing, and I felt it. I said, I, I thought to myself, Lord, I know there's a dry season. I'm feeling empty, but I praise the Lord. And for about five days, I just felt this emptiness. I kept waking up in the middle of the night going, it's still there, but I didn't fret until one morning. Um, and I just, I just remained calm with the Lord because I think, look, I have to always have something going on in my mind. Or a sensation. That's immaturity. We need to be able to walk steady. It says, blessed is he that keepeth righteousness. And he, blessed is he that doeth righteousness and he that keepeth judgment at all times. At all times. So we have to have a proper judgment that we can't allow ourselves and we're in a desert season to go into panic mode. Believe me, if you've done something wrong, the Holy Spirit isn't whipping you. It's the devil. The Holy Spirit will convict you and his mercy triumphs over judgment. He is quick to forgive. It says that in his word. He's ready to forgive. He's quick. And so just tell him you're sorry. If there's something that you know, square it off with him. In that moment, you ask him to forgive you. You're forgiven. It's Satan that wants to tell you you're not. But that's not where I'm taking this lesson. If I even want to call it a lesson, this message, what the Lord's showing me. I just love this organic way that God has given me to share with you guys. I love it so much because I see only his light shining on me. And I hear only his words speaking to me. And I'm not reliant on the voice of mankind, although I appreciate 
all the scholars and the wonderful works that they have received, our brothers and sisters that are in yesteryear who are now home with the Lord. And I say, Lord, I thank you so much for those little rays of light that they receive that still are shining brightly forever and ever world without end. Because what is from heaven, Jesus says, it says in Ecclesiastes, whatsoever the Lord giveth shall be forever. No man can add to it or take away for it from it. So the, whatever the Lord does shall be forever. It will remain forever. So their works, that light remains forever. And by that light, we see light. And so I didn't know what was happening with me. And I just, one, and of course I'm praying through. I'm like, Lord, what is it? If this is just a, a, a reoccurring dry season, I can take it. I trust you that if something there, there's something you want me to know, you'll speak it to me. I have faith. And I have strong confidence in you, Lord. And of course, if there's something in me that you don't like, something that you want to heal, something you want to forgive, something I'm not seeing, then Lord, open up my eyes. Open up my eyes and let me see what's what I cannot see. Lord, I pray that you open, that you cut me open, Lord, like you did with the bullocks. Uh, for the burnt sacrifices, how you, they, those priests opened up those animals on an altar down all the way to their liver and the fat, which was called the call above the liver, because they were seeing if there was any, anything, any spot in them, in those animals that made them imperfect. And notice they had to see inside because the outward, like, hey, it looks great from the outside. But we're not satisfied. And that was God's law. You're going to look inside the animal all the way down to the deepest parts. That's why David talks about, Lord, get a hold of the reins. The reins are actually your kidneys. I looked it up, which was considered the deepest part of your human organs. And so, and your liver is there too, right? Your deepest organs. And so day before yesterday, I was in the word. And I was in Luke chapter two. Now, let's just be realistic. Whenever Luke chapter two is read, it's always only during holiday season where everybody marches into church and you hear about, you know, the birth of Jesus Christ and his dedication in the temple by his parents. And then everybody forgets all year long. A lot of people do. I don't say you do. But I came across it because it just so happened to be part of my portion I was reading. And then I saw that the Lord opened my eyes and God was opening my eyes in that word, in that word. And let me just begin by reading it. And then I have notes, whether I use them all or not, I don't know, but I get out of the way for the Holy Spirit. I yield to the Holy Spirit and I yoke myself to Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. So in Luke chapter two, this is where the Lord began to speak to me. Okay, let me read it. Um, I may skip sections of it because I want to get straight to the points, okay? verse chap uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 22. And when the days of her purification, Jesus' mother, of course, and when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man. I like it when God does that. There was a certain man. There was a certain. He always says he designates that there was a certain man, a certain woman. But he says that, behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death. I want everything I read to you today as students I pray God open your eyes and and what I teach you, I want everything I teach you and read to you, I want the word see or saw to be what you see, okay? 
that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he um, him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. You know, it says a couple of verses back when Zechariah was prophesying, he said the people that sat in darkness saw great light. That was a spiritual light. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which are spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of men in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna. So now we have a woman. A prophetess of the uh, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of, of the tribe of Asher, she was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity, and she was a widow of about four score and four years. She was eighty four years old, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers day and night. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise to the Lord and spake of Him to all them that looked for redemption redemption in Jerusalem. You know, when I saw that, I said, Lord, how fast are we to think we see? We read a section of scripture. Yes, it was a historical event, but spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And this man was a just and devout man. And the Holy Spirit came upon him. Think of all the people in Israel. Yes, people looked. It said, and she spoke, Anna spoke unto all them that looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. But God dealt with two people here. He dealt with a man. And you know he was old because he's like, he was probably going, Lord, how much longer I'm going to live. But it seems that his looking in his old age, like all his life, that tells me. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, knowing what the Torah said, knowing what the books of the law said, knowing those little sections in Deuteronomy of a, he, speaking about, you know, like Deuteronomy 16, Deuteronomy 19, talking about there's one coming, not spoken of this tribe, but of a tribe that's been not spoken of him, ye will obey and, you know, there was the prophets and he was obviously schooled. If he was, he was Simeon, he was a person that you would come, his parents, Jesus's parents are coming to have him administer her offering and to authorize it for her purification. And it was God who, who let that man see. He said that the Lord had spoken to him and said, you're not going to see death. And he may have spoken that to Simeon when he was a child. It could have been spoken to him when he was 20. And here he is as an old man. He said, Lord, he said it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And then the Holy Spirit moves him to go see. And then he says, for mine eyes have seen. He took that baby up and he said, now my eyes have seen. And yes, yes, two things were happening. He was holding a physical little baby body. But by the power, because the Holy Spirit, it says no man can say that Jesus Christ is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Oh, people can say it, but they'll not see him. They won't see Jesus. There's so many people. It says ever learning and never able to come into the knowledge of the truth. You know why? Because they can't see. It's all about seeing. And now he says, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. He's holding an eight-day-old infant, and he is an aged man. He probably died right after that some days, weeks, months. I don't know. This old woman, you have two old people 
who were like, this is him. This is him. But they were devout. They were just, they were waiting and looking for the consolation for the redemption of Israel. And two people out of all Israel, yes, there were the shepherds. Yes, they were the shepherds that the angels appeared before him, right? Before them at night. And they were told, this is a sign that you will see when you go in you, to a, you know, into a manger, you're going to see a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. That's him. Their eyes saw their salvation and they went out and began to publish it much abroad. After that, you had the wise men, which I believe were more than three. There was a three. But I believe when they saw him, remember the Lord sent him out another way? They said, they, we saw his star in the east because they were looking for his star, which you can read about in Numbers, I believe it's Numbers chapter 24, 25, and about the star of Jacob. And they knew about it. And when they saw him, of course, we know that they laid down gifts of frankincense, uh, myrrh, um, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, and that was absolutely prophetic. But their eyes beheld the Savior of the world, and they went out a different way. They never went back the way they returned. You never hear about Anna or Simeon ever again. But they waited because they they were told you're not Simeon was told you're not going to die until you're not going to see death until you see life until you see your eternal life. And Anna knew the same for she spoke of him to all that look looked for the redemption of Israel. You know, as I read that, I thought to myself, um, and this is, was in this moment that I was reading this word. And as I was meditating on it, the Lord, the Holy Spirit added, started to add. So this is the message I'm giving you that he gave to me. And I'm giving it to you. And I pray it blesses you. That your eyes be opened as I speak. That the Holy Spirit will open up your eyes to see Jesus. The Holy Spirit reminded me of the Queen of Sheba. In 1 Kings 10, 1-10 through 10, it said, And when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. Remember she was, I can't say remember because you may not know this. But according to theologians, remember when Jesus said, the queen is a queen of the South shall rise up in judgment and condemn this generation for she came from the far reaches of the South. I said something like that just to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. So when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. And she came to Jerusalem. And isn't that really kind of like, I know she was a heathen. I know she, she, we know who she was, okay, who the Egyptians were. But that queen heard something about Solomon, which means peace. You know, uh, peace, king of peace, um, which we also know uh, king of, uh, that priest Melchizedek means that too, king of Salem. And But let's focus on this. She came to prove with hard questions. I want to stop on that because isn't that just the way when people are not, when they don't see Jesus yet? And I'm going to take this into the religious sector. Isn't it interesting how people, when they war and they fight against each other and they want to prove each other with hard questions and they want to spar about hard questions. And all it does is, is other people that are watching them that are trying to come to Christ, it subverts the hearer's. All they see is people warring against each other about Jesus Christ, and it does great damage. But people that have not seen Christ always want to prove things with hard questions. Let me continue. And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train, with camels that bear spices, very much gold, and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him. 
of all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all her questions. There was not anything hid from the king, which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built and the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants and the attendance of his ministers and their apparel and his cupbearers and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. And she said to the king, it was a true report. I heard in my own land of thy acts and thy wisdom. How be it? I believed not the words until I came and my eyes have seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. Happy are thy men. Happy are these servants which stand continually before thee and that hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighted in thee to set thee on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore made he thee king to do judgment and justice. And you know, the Lord's, the Holy Spirit stopped me on this part where she said, look, I heard of your fame. I heard of your acts and your wisdom from 1600 miles away. She came for 1600 miles in a caravan. That was not an easy trip. And she came with wealth and she came with riches and she came to bring a gift, a queen to a king. But look at this woman. She came to prove him with hard questions. That kind of tells me, I'm not saying she had an attitude, but maybe she did. You know, being a ruler, a heathen ruler, she probably went, yeah, well, I just want to hear him myself. You know, I'm pretty much curious. But was she more than curious? Was the Holy Spirit in some way moving to cause her to get in a caravan and go 1,600 miles? Jesus says she will rise up in the judgment. I believe him. I believe he will call her to the forefront and she will testify just like the men of Nineveh. And she said she didn't believe the words. Even though she said it was a true report that I heard in my own land, she said it was true. But there was something about her believing. There's something that she, she, she wanted more. She wanted to see for herself what she was hearing of his acts and his wisdom. We know that when we read about Solomon, he spoke 3,000 proverbs and wrote 1,200 songs. Who knows what other things we heard about his judgment and the sword. Let's cut the baby in two. And everybody was amazed. You know, there's things that are not written. Imagine the things she was hearing about his acts and his wisdom that are not written. And though she said, I heard it in my own land of your acts and wisdom. How be it? I believe not thy words until I came. I had to see it for my, I have to see you for myself. And now, and my eyes had seen it and behold the half, the half was not told me of thy wisdom and prosperity that exceeded the fame which I heard. Then she says, his servants are happy. She says, happy are these thy servants which stand before the stand continually before thee and hear thy wisdom. And then she blesses him by his God, by our God. It's unprecedented that a queen is looking at his attendants, his servants rather, and says, and she's seeing something. Look at those servants. Look at those servants. And what the Holy Spirit was saying to me, Joni, look, look at what she's seeing. If you can, open. let the Lord open your eyes because she's seeing happy are your servants that stand before you continually and hear your wisdom. They not only got to hear their wisdom, she's saying they get to see you and hear you, but rather all that wisdom was placed in him by God. When he said, Solomon, when he appeared to him in his first dream, because you did not ask for riches, neither for the life of thy enemies, he said, I will give unto you under riches and understanding, right? He said, but I will give you 
wisdom like no other king has ever had before you, neither after you. And upon that, and also great wealth, you know, he gave him all those things that he did not ask for. And that's the way of the Lord. But for a queen to say, happy are your servants, she wasn't saying, yes, oh boy, happy are those high officials that wait upon you. She's saying, happy are these, like, I would even be your servant. Like she's seeing something even in the servants, a queen, a great queen. You know what Egypt was? It was one of the greatest, greatest kingdoms in all the earth in those days. But she saw him. I believe not the words until I came and mine eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. You know, there is a gradual seeing too of the Lord. You know, I think about, I want to talk about Job. I'm going to go down here. Job. Okay. We all know about Job. It's the oldest book in the Bible. But you know, there's a lot of things that we could learn, but I'm going to stick with what the Holy Spirit was teaching me. So he brings up Job to me. And we know that Job, we know that Job, I'm just going to get over there. Just give me one sec, you guys. So we know that Job, uh, there's no quick way around this when you're trying to get certain passages. That's fine. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, verse 1 of 1. And that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. It says there was a man, just like there was a man, Simeon, right? And his, he was up or he was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. He, we don't hear about anybody else in the world at that time. And there were, were born unto him seven sons and three daughters, and he had great substance. I won't read through all that. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one in his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So we know that they were uh, rebellious. And we know why, because it says in chapter 5, And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This did Job continually. And then it goes on to say, there was a day that the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan was among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, what, where have you been from? Where, where have you come from? And he said, from walking up and down the earth and going to and fro is to and fro is in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him in the earth. There is none like him in the earth. One man at that time in the world, he said, there's no one like this one man in all the earth. A perfect man and an upright man. One that fears God and eschews evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge around him about his house and about all that he has on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in thy power only upon himself, put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but we know that in one day he lost all of his children. He lost all of his substance. All of his servants were killed or kidnapped. A few were left only enough to come and bring back word about the death of all of his children and the death of his cattle and all that. Everything was lost. And he, he hears it. Right? And he he tears his clothes. Then it says Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb and 
naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. And when you read the entire thing, you just see this going back and forth. You have these three men, these religious men, and you read the words that these religious men say, right? There's a lot of things that these men say that there is absolute truth and wisdom in what they're saying, right? And they're bombarding Job with that. Well, you must have done something wrong. And, and, you know, he spoke about his life into certain portions in there. He said, I was, I was the song of the widows. I, um, Young men rose up when I came in. I sat at the gate. I mean, he goes on and talks about what kind of caliber of a man that he was. So we know that not only was he, there was no one like him in the earth who feared God and eschewed evil, a perfect and an upright man um, who rose up every single morning. He was just, he was devout. He was offering offerings for his wicked children. But at the end, at the end, you know, when it goes through everything, you know, after everybody's spoken and the fifth young voice comes, the voice of a young man, Elihu, and he says, well, I thought I was, you know, being young, I shouldn't speak, but I got something to say. And he goes on to say, you could read that in chapter 32. And then after that, um, there's no more, you don't hear anything from them anymore, except for Job in chapter 42 at the very end. And God went on to say to Job, um, he said, then the Lord answered Job out of the world when now God speaks. He's like, okay, everybody's done speaking. I'm going to speak now. Chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the world when it said, who is this that darkeneth counsel with words without knowledge? Words without knowledge. When you read all of this, book you're like wow look at the words that are spoken in this book of powerful wisdom and knowledge but the lord is now speaking and saying i'm going to speak now i'm going to speak gird up now thy loins like a man for i will demand of thee and answer thou me notice he didn't say listen all of you i'm the lord i'm going to speak to every one of you and I'm going to have something to say right now. Listen up. He didn't say anything to that to those four men. He said nothing to them. He spoke only to Job. He had nothing to say to those men. Not even to that young man who seems to be a good and a righteous young man. Who didn't give heed to flattering titles. He feared the Lord. We said Neither do I give heed to flattering titles, lest if I do, the Lord will come and take me away. But he says, gird up now thy loins like a man, and I will demand of thee an answer and answer me. And then he goes on to say, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if you can understand who has laid the measures thereof. If you know who has stretched the line upon it. Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened or laid the cornerstone thereof. And he goes on and on. And he goes on through chapter 38, chapter 39, um, all the way to chapter 41. Um, that God goes on. He starts with his creation. And that silences every religious mouth. That chapter right there, those few chapters should silence the whole world. You know, it doesn't matter. In other words, look at what Job, let me finish by saying, before I close, not close, before I bring this part to fruition. At the end, Job finally answers and says, I know that you can do everything and that no thought may be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have, have I uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee and I will speak. Listen how he responds. Number one, God said, who is this that darkeneth my counsel with words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins, Job, and approach unto me, and I will demand an answer of you. So here he is. 
Here I beseech thee, and I will speak, and I will demand of thee, declare thou unto me. He says, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now doth mine eye see thee, and now I see myself. I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. You know, we're trying so hard. We're trying so hard to see God that we're, we're, we're like blind people. We're trying to find him in so many things and trying to remember when Jesus says, when they say unto you, look, he's in the desert or look, he's in the secret chambers. He says, believe them not. So many people say, look, we're having a conference over here. Look, we're having a meeting over here at this house. Or every Thursday, we have a Holy Ghost meeting. No one can control. After you read, if you just sit down and read those three chapters, all the world should keep silence. See, Job was a good man. We read. I just told you, I read about him to you. But he didn't see him. He didn't see him. And Job's first part really reveals a lot of our lives in the beginning. Remember Paul, he saw his eyes were open. Remember he said he was on his way to Damascus. He was going to go haul a bunch of Christians away to imprison them and to kill them if possible. He had this authority to do it. And there was a light above the mid brightness of the midday and it shone upon him. And he fell down. It says he fell down and he heard a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Lord, what shall I do? And he said, I'll tell you what you must do. And then we hear later on, he talks about he's, well, he's giving his testimony to the people of Jerusalem. He said there was one Ananias whom the Lord appeared to. In a dream and said, Ananias, I want you to go to the Saul. See Saul, I want you to lay hands on him. He said, he's a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name. Um, and I want you to show him what he must do. What he must do. And when he laid his hands on him, his eyes were open and the scales fell off. And there's a lot of ideas that people come, well, his eyes were burned and they were probably burned and they were chunks of flaky skin because when he looked, there was a, the glory and it burned his eyes. I don't know if that was literal or if it was spiritual. I'll leave it open. But there's something about when your eyes are open. Think about the people that Jesus touched during his Galilean ministry. Think about the people that he touched. You know, one day I was saying to the Lord, I was thinking one day, Lord, you'd barely got time to be alone. Everybody was always, even when you got alone, they searched you out and they found you. And you had to go up into a mountain just to get away. There's so many people were always following you and you were doing all these great acts and these great miracles, but very few, Lord, you touched. And not everybody you touched followed you. Like the 10 lepers, you told them, you touch them with your word. Go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were healed, but only one returned and fell down. Like Saul fell down. Or like Jairus or the woman fell, the woman with the issue of blood. God touched Jairus by touching his daughter. He touched the woman with the issue of blood. Their eyes were open. That's why they fell down. I was reading this morning as part of my devotion. I was reading about in Luke 5, 1 through 10. I want to, uh, I'll just start reading it. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's. And prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, 
Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they, they, it says, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help. And they came and filled both the ships. So they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. There is something that happens that when the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to see the Lord, I'm not talking about manifest Jesus physically manifesting. I'm talking about by the spirit of the Lord. He opens your eyes. Look at Ray, not uh, Rahab, not Rahab. Look at um, Rahab's eyes were open. She saw that those men, those spies were men that she said, man, I know whose God that is. Her eyes were open to that. But to stay on track here, it says when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. You know, have you ever fallen down at Jesus' knees? Maybe we are a people that need to see God. And all this extracurricular learning, this clawing at intellectual knowledge, that look at Job. Job said, "I just like the queen of Sheba, I, I have heard of your acts and wisdom, but I, and I know it to be true, but I believed not until I came and I saw and I half wasn't told me. I heard she stayed for months later. I heard she stayed, I think something like for six months. You know, a lot of times our seeing is gradual because remember in that account that I just told you, they were already called Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They were all called, but this time Peter saw him. See, you can begin by seeing him as a child and you'll speak as a child. You'll think like a child, understand like a child, but there comes a day that the Holy Spirit must open your eyes. Like when Saul said, what should, what shall, Oh Lord, what shall I do? And he said, I'll tell you what you must do. And he told him in 26 verse 26, 18, Jesus said to Saul, but rise and stand upon thy feet. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles and to whom now I send thee to open their eyes. In other words, he's saying, I had to open your eyes to see me so that you can open up their eyes that they may see me. See, unless your eyes are open and unless my eyes are open, what are we seeing? I mean, really, what, what kind of a Jesus are we really seeing? I mean, I ask myself that, you guys. I'm not here telling you you need to open up your eyes and see. I'm telling you myself. I would have been praying to the Lord, open my eyes. Where I'm not seeing you, where I'm just reading your word. A few mornings ago, I said, oh, Lord, I want to go deeper with you. And I had an image of a, of a pond, a, a, a river, a beautiful, quiet lake or something. I had this image of it. And I heard the Lord say, as I saw myself looking at this perfectly calm, beautiful, sparkling river that was softly going by. And I heard the Lord say to me, I want you to look deeper than the surface of that water. Unless our eyes are open, there is nothing but a one-dimensional view of Christ. That is why we humanize him. That's why we talk to him like he's somebody. That's why we, we make light of him. That's why um, 
The people of this generation as believers, they can sit through filthy movies and not even blush. They can hear the name of the Lord being spoken against. And they don't, they don't, I'm not saying you got to jump in and defend. The Lord can defend his own name. But what I'm saying is internally, they don't feel anything. I want to say this to you. Once you've seen something, you cannot unsee it, right? That's why in a court of law, when they bring up witnesses, they're like, what did you see? See, because you can say, well, I heard this. I heard this. But there's something different about seeing. Right. What did Jesus say to Andrew and Simon? When they were following him, they were they were disciples of John the Baptist and they were following Jesus that day after he was being after he was known to be the son of God to take away the sin of the world. And they were following him one day and Jesus turned around and looked at them and said, what do you want? And they said, Lord, where do you live? And he said, come and see. I think those three words are the most radical words of invitation Christ can give to us. Come and see. Because when God opens up your eyes, look at what Ezekiel saw. Look at how God opened up Stephen's eyes while he was suffering. And I want to talk about that. Because once you op- God opens up your eyes, you never go back. Everybody, like Bartimaeus, it said that he followed Jesus we don't ever hear about him again is that he left and went with him. Jesus didn't say, follow me, Bartimaeus, and I'll make you to become a fisher of men. What is really interesting before I go into never going back, isn't it interesting how God in Mark chapter one, he calls his disciples. And um, uh, I believe, well, just Mark chapter one, you can read it yourself. He calls his disciples to himself. Okay. So they're already with him. When this happens in Luke, I mean, in, um, yeah, Luke chapter 5, 1 through 10. They were already called. And don't forget, in John chapter 2, now we see them at a marriage in Cana of Galilee, where the water was turned into wine, where it said Christ manifested his glory, and it said, then believed his disciples let me just read that perfectly this beginning of miracles did jesus in cana of galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him so first we see them being called he said i'll make you to become fishers of men just like god told saul of tarsus i'm going to make you a minister you see everybody wants to be a fisher of men like that everybody wants to be a minister that fast but you see you have to come and see First, you have to come to Christ and you have to keep yourself there and you've got to soak yourself in the Bible. There's no other way. You've got to see him for yourself in this word. Otherwise, you're only going to be looking at the surface of the water. Let me keep going. Um, So we see that we see, and I, I want to bring this because I want to bring the Job thing back because we know that Job His suffering was unbelievable. I don't want to get into the detail of it. You can do your own research. But as I understand from certain theologians, he was in that condition for two years. I don't know how they came up with that, but that's what they say. Um, And he was rejected by his own family. He said his breath was strange to his family. When he calls for his children, they won't come to him. His servants won't even listen to him. Um, He's emaciated. He's being pummeled by the enemy. He's got Satan breathing down his neck. He's got religious people telling him he's must have done something wrong. And you know what happened? His eyes were opened in the dark. Same thing with Samson. Samson was anointed by God. He had power and physical strength because of the power of the Holy Spirit until he made light of it and just didn't keep it, didn't care about it anymore. And he arose up at other times. It said, well, he was sleeping on the knees of Delilah and And he was going to go out and he thought he was going to do something to the Philistines. Arise, Samson, for the Philistines are upon you. And he arose at uh, like the other B times, it says. That's old English. But he rose like at other times. And it said, and he didn't know that that the Lord had departed from him. And they put out his eyes and he grinded in as a prisoner. He grinded in their dungeons. He grinded until his hair grew back. But it was there that he 
saw God where his eyes were opened in the dark. Just like Job said, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now does my eye see thee. Wherefore I abhor myself, meaning all the things that seem so righteous, so godly, so devout, so true, even in sincerity, he said, but you didn't see me. You were doing acts of righteousness. You were doing acts of what you what you could only see in the dimension to the degree of what you can see, but I let you see in the dark. You That's when he heard God speak. When do we ever hear anybody hear from God for three long chapters directly? Job, I got something I want to say to you personally. Literally, when we hear big, long pieces, we hear it in Jeremiah, we hear it in Isaiah, we hear it in the prophets, but that's to big people groups, right? Maybe God may speak a few words to Isaiah, maybe God, like in the cave, and maybe God may speak a few words to David or to King Hezekiah when he turned his face to the wall and wept. May God, he, in those minutes, but he, Job is the only one in biblical account that we see where he said, Job, he says, who is this? He didn't, he knew who Job was. But in other words, who are you? I mean, we, we our approach to God is that if we don't see him, he's going to make us see him. But it's going to be in the dark. Faith grows in the dark. Samson saw God. His eyes were open, though they were physically pulled out or burned out of his eyes. They said they were put out. That's how they did it. They burned their eyes. But he saw him. He saw him. Moses endured for he saw him who was invisible it says well in second corinthians chapter 4 16 it says while we look not at the things which are seen but the things which are unseen for the things which are seen are temporal are are are, the things which are seen are temporal but the things which are unseen are immortal you know when we talk about lord i fix my eyes on you and we sing these songs are what does that really mean to you now Think about what it says in Isaiah 50, verse 10. Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. In Psalm 139, we see that there is a light that we see in the darkness that though it says here that even like David said, whither shall I go from thy spirit or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there thy hand shall lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. You know, that tells me, you know what? It's all about seeing because you can find yourself in a place in your life that you never saw that you'd ever be. Things happening to you that you never thought that could happen are happening to you. And then you will say, and then as David says, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me. When he says, surely the darkness shall cover me, that means he has fallen down. He has given up. He's saying, this is it. This is it. Surely the darkness is going to cover me. I'm going to be swallowed up. I'm done for. Even the night, he, but he, but he says this, surely the dark, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light to you about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. There is a different light that happens in the darkness. And unless you go into that darkness, you are never, ever, ever going to have your eyes opened like Job had his eyes opened. And, you know, it does say that there is another light that people walk by. It's the light of this world that people walk by and they stumble on what they they don't even know. But there's a different light that we trust in. But we have to be made to see the Lord. Like I said, you never go back once your eyes are open. Remember when even God said, OK, Israel, you're going to you're going to leave it. You're going to leave Egypt. I'm going to do I'm going to do great mighty signs and wonders before your face they saw it says they saw my works that i did and my power in the field of zoan you know it says that they turned back from him they went back to egypt you know why because they were backsliders in heart 
They were idolaters in heart. And there was four and a half million people that left Egypt. And there was only two of them from Egypt, Caleb and Joshua that made it into the promised land too. Just like there was only Anna and Simeon that saw the salvation, the consolation, the redemption. They waited long into their old age, but God kept his promise. He said, you, you're not going to die. I know you're going to, you're old, but it's coming. I mean, imagine how we felt, man, I'm getting to that age where I'm going to die. I'm going to be seeing him pretty soon because we know he was a just and devout man. I want to uh, leave this with you. I was reading in Ezekiel 46, nine through 10, when I felt that the Lord was showing me that once they have, a person has seen me, truly seen me, they never go back to what they were again. They don't return the same way like the wise men. Like the shepherds, they didn't go home. They went a different way. They went to proclaim that they saw a chorus of angels declaring peace on earth and good will towards men. They went out. They went a different way. They didn't go back. When we see something, when we see Jesus, I can tell you right now, I'll never go back. Once you've seen Jesus, you will never, you can't, you can't. In Ezekiel, we're talking, this is about the millennial sanctuary, the, the millennial temple built during the millennial age. And this one portion has always stuck out to me. And it says, his, uh, it says, but when the people of the land shall come before the Lord in the solemn feasts, he that entereth in by the way of the north gate to worship shall go out by the way of the south gate. And he that entereth by the way of the south gate shall go forth by the way of the north gate. He shall not return by the way of the gate whereby he came in, but shall go forth against it. And the prince in the midst of them, when they go in, shall go in. And when they go forth, shall go forth. I'm not going to get into who the prince is. That'll, that's another time. But I want to say this. It's all about seeing. John saw Jesus. He was the youngest of the disciples. And he loved Jesus. And he saw him in his human life. And, and he walked with him. And he lived with him. And camped out with him. And learned of him. And leaned on his breast. And saw him face to face. And talked with him mouth to mouth. And then he saw him resurrected on the earth. And then he saw him again. And he said, and behold, I turned to see the, he said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And he goes on to say, you know, I was in the, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And he goes on to say a few words I forget, but he says, and I turned to see the voice. I turned to see the voice that spake unto me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the candlesticks, one like unto the Son of God, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. This is what he's seeing. And his voice and his feet were like unto fine brass, as though they burned in a furnace. And his voice was as a sound of many waters. And he held in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun when it shineth in his strength. And I, John, when I saw it fell down, remember, Simon Peter fell down, Paul fell down, Jairus fell down, the, everybody that sees Christ by the spirit, they see something, it causes them to fall down. He said, but when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. I'm not talking about what I get from that is I, I don't think he was like, I just, I, I passed out this power. I just, it made me, it's like when he said, I fell at his feet as dead. 
Could you imagine what that means? Park on that for a minute. I fell at his feet as dead. Just like the Queen of Sheba, there was no more spirit left in her when she saw and half was not told her. She wasn't just seeing carnal things. Yes, she was seeing carnal things. But I believe the spirit and presence of God was in that place. That's why there was no more spirit left in her. Other translations say no more breath. And Paul uh, and John says, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead and am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys to death and Hades. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Read your Bibles differently. You see, we see all these denominations, we see all these doctrines, and they never end. Isolating doctrines, isolating prophecies, everybody giving a word of what they, they feel. I'll tell you something. Look at Job, a perfect man who did everything, but he didn't see God. And it said after that, he, is, he finally saw him. And it's time for the body of Christ, for their eyes to be open or you're ever going to be learning. And of many books and reading them and the weariness of the flesh of study will be your undoing. Because I'll tell you right now, one day when we get to heaven, none of this is going to matter. How many books you read, how many things you did, but that you saw Christ because I'll tell you, once you see him, you'll never go back. And you'll never be the same ever again. World without end.